Hey everybody, I'm Tim Muma, and thanks for joining us on localjobnetwork.com radio. This is I Want to Be A, where we each episode finish that sentence with a different profession, speaking with an individual in that said field. I'm looking to give you some inside knowledge and advice on what it takes to succeed in that particular area. Now today on LJN Radio, I Want to Be A Surveyor. I'm sure most of you listening have heard of this position, but we want to really give you all the details for success. To fill us in on that, we have Kurt Sumner on the phone in Maryland. Kurt is the executive director for the National Society of Professional Surveyors, having been in the field for more than 30 years. Thanks for being on with us today, Kurt. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, and I, you know, I gave you a little bit of an introduction there, but uh, you know, we like to fill our listeners in on what our guests are bringing to the table. So if you could fill us in a little bit about your professional career. My professional career began toward professionalism, I suppose, in 1966, when I graduated from high school, um, I wasn't able to go to college right away, so I took a job with the Virginia Department of Transportation at the time and working on a survey crew and learned a lot during the three years I was there. One of the things I learned was that if I was going to move forward, I needed to do something differently. I was on a 12-man survey crew, which sounds a bit odd sometimes in today's world because some survey crews today are one person. Right, right. Um, but we were doing a lot of work in the mountains. We were actually doing the surveying work for Interstate 77, where it comes into Virginia from North Carolina and the Blue Ridge Mountains where I grew up. But I learned that being the last person on that crew and being in that type of job, there really wasn't a lot of room for advancement. Hmm. So I learned all I could learn. Uh, volunteered to do a lot of different things that other people weren't willing to do, carrying instruments in and out of the mountain during the day and that kind of thing. And and they taught me a lot in that period of time, but it just really sparked my enthusiasm to continue. So I decided that even though I by then had a, a young son, that I was going to go back to college, and I did. But I knew that I was going to head in this direction when I went because I had always thought, even when I was growing up, I was always very interested in math and science and, hmm. and those types of things. Um, even, even the English side of things were intriguing to me, and, and that certainly is an important element in, in the professional side of things. Communication is a, a major tool no matter what you're doing. Right. So I, I really enjoyed the work, and I liked the whole idea of the work because surveyors are really, simply put, detectives, puzzle workers, and mind readers. <laughs> we go and find information about the land because we're tied to the land. And one way or another, every surveying job is tied to the land somehow. So if we're going to solve boundaries, for example, we go and find all the information in the courthouse. We talk to the landowners. We go on the ground and locate all the, all the data we can find. And then we try to piece together a puzzle because land, all the land is, is a puzzle. Everybody has a piece of the puzzle, Right. Uh, everybody who owns land. And the surveyor's job is to figure out how the particular piece of the puzzle that he or she is working on fits with the other pieces of puzzle around it so that there aren't gaps and overlaps and that type of thing. So, so the research, the detective part, is looking for information to help you go search for what you need to find and then gathering that data, processing it mathematically, and then figuring out how the puzzle works. The mind reader part comes in trying to figure out what were they really thinking when they described this land 200 years ago or 50 years ago or last year. Right. Because you, you have to take into account, again, trying to, to determine what was the intent here, because intent is, is a big part of it, what, what was intended to be conveyed. And that, that's really one piece of it. It's, it's the, 
the side of it that's the the land boundary side and and really the framework for land ownership in our country. Sure. We have GIS today. I'm sure you've heard of GIS, mm-hmm. Geographic Information Systems, and and they've done a great job in cataloging a lot of information. That information's not always accurate. It might be precise in terms of mathematical calculation, but it might not be accurate with where things are actually on the ground. Right. It depends on where the data came from. And once again, that's where surveyors kind of come in. The surveyor's job is to make sure that the location of things is not only precise, but it's also accurate. So when you're looking at your work and, and what you're doing, what you've done, I mean, do you see it as being a, a, having a grander purpose than, you know, some people might look at it and be like, oh, yeah, okay, you do this, you write down the data, you move on. But for yourself, it sounds like you you envision as being something bigger than just a job or even just a career. Absolutely. And, and I think you would find, if you were doing this interview with any surveyor in this entire country, and, and while I'm on that topic, by the way, According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are only about 41,000 of us who hold licenses in the whole in the entire United States. Oh wow, which is a really small number compared to other professions. Right. But I think you would find that each one of those people has the same kind of enthusiasm about the job. It's one of those things that if you if you have the aptitude for it, it consumes you. It it becomes your being because. And I'm go- this is probably not going to sound good on your radio show, but <laughs> it, it's like a calling. My, my father was a was a Baptist minister uh, in the mountains of Virginia, and, and he had a calling, of course, for what he was doing. And for surveyors, it's kind of like that in a different atmosphere, of course. But but it's the way it is. You get into it, and it it just consumes your mind and your soul. You you just get so uh, involved in it, and so engaged in it. You 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 love what you do every day. When you're going out and, you know, obviously there are different tasks you're going to be working on, can you break it down a little bit of what your day might be like in terms of how you are accumulating this data, what tools you're utilizing? I think just to give people a, a picture of, okay, when you're out there trying to figure all this out and, and make it come together, what, what, really, what, what really does that entail? What really are you getting down to when you're working, you know, day to day or even if it's a larger project? That changes a bit depending on the type of job. For example, if we were doing that boundary work I was talking about earlier in our discussion, then the equipment we use isn't all that different from what we would use for a construction project where we were putting in the, the points from which everything gets built. Okay, You'd use the same basic equipment. You'd just use it for a different purpose. And GPS is a major part now of what surveyors do. We're even involved now in gathering data in all kinds of ways, whether it's through scanners whether it's through GPS theodolites. Um, there are just so many. There, drones are even flying around now gathering data. <laughs> right. And so uh, I know that's a, a bad word in most people's minds, but in terms of gathering data for, for surveying and design purposes, it's, it's a good tool. So as I said in the early part of the interview, when I started, we, we were using equipment that where they were using 100 years before us. But today, that equipment is it's really exciting. And, and one of the things that has occurred because of that is that it's almost, almost, not quite, but almost impossible to seek to be a part of the profession as a a licensed professional without having a really good educational background Hmm. coming through university because just being able to understand all the scientific parts of it is really important. When we were using the the more rudimentary equipment earlier, one could gather the data and then the professional side, I've, I've never tied level of education with professionalism because professionalism is internal. It, it's who you are and how you work with people. But to reach that professionalism and to reach 
the ability to utilize all that's available to you. In today's world, it's really, really hard to do with, without having that technical uh, educational background to move you forward. Sure. So even in our licensing structures, that's true. If, if one goes through a university studying, surveying, they can sit for a fundamentals exam when they graduate, and then they work in an internship for four years, and then they can get a license. If you don't go to school, getting to that fundamentals exam might take eight or ten years or more. So oh, wow. it's just because of the learning process. Right. Uh, but but those tools, those everyday tools, like I said, they're they're really cool these days because <laughs> everybody likes GPS and and it's GPS is ingrained in everything we do, right? I yeah, mean, we, yeah. We have GPS on our on our watch now, for goodness sake. Um, it's it's not going to give you the same level of precise measurement you need for surveying, but but people can kind of understand that they know what what GPS does. So it allows the surveyor to gather the data much more readily and, and, and actually has taken a lot of the more physical aspects of the job away. Okay. For example, if I were surveying a mountainside and I were able to use my GPS units and I had points at the be- at the bottom and the top of that mountain and maybe a few along the way that I need to locate, instead of traversing, you know, running a, a, a line of, of distances and angles up the side of the mountain and cutting the brush and all that, you don't really have to do that as much anymore because you use your GPS unit to gather the data and then you use those points the same way you would if you had expended all that physical activity to get it done in the past. Sure. So so it's become uh, a profession that is much more highly technologically oriented than it was, you know, 50 years ago when when I when I really got into it. Those physical tools are are part of the job and and they carry forward. You know, we we in the surveying profession like to say when something is going to occur, if you're going to build something, if you're going to put a subdivision in for houses or you're going to build a bridge or you're going to build a building or whatever the case may be, somebody has to provide the data about the land, hmm. the land boundary ownership and the lay of the land before any design can occur. And the surveyor is the person who does that. And then that design process typically goes through uh, our friends over in architecture and engineering to decide where the buildings fit and and those types of things. But then the surveyor comes back and lays that out for construction. And once the construction is done, the surveyor goes back to make sure it was put in the right place. <laughs> so so we're the only people who really there from the beginning to the end of the project. Mm-hmm. And we work with a lot of different people. And, and honestly, uh, my experience has always been, regardless of the tools we use, that the the really most important part of what we do is the ability to interact with people. Okay. And and help them understand what it is you're trying to do to begin with, <laughs> and and gather information from them. You know, I, one of the m- most important aspects of surveying people's property is talking with those landowners to find out what they think, hmm. because everybody has an idea of what their property is like. Sure, but it may not be real. It may, it may, not, be, it may not be where it actually is in the, in the long run. But you need to know that, and you need to develop a relationship with people so that. Even if you have to come back to them and say, you know, the evidence really doesn't support what you're thinking, you have a, a rapport established with them already, and and that doesn't happen if you are reclusive. You have to be out. You have to be outspoken, outgoing, and engaging to to deal with people. And that's all the way through the process, whether it's with the design team, whether it's with the attorneys who are involved, whether it's with the realtors, the title people. There are so many people that surveyors interact with on a regular basis. You really have to have those those skills to work toward that professionalism. Again, that's part of what professionalism is, is dealing with those people. 
Well, and since you brought that up, I mean, the idea of, you know, maybe a certain personality or skill, and you talk about the communication side and being able to to build a rapport. Are, I mean, besides those, are there other essential aspects that you would really point to as saying, hey, if you want to get into this, you have to have this skill, you have to have this type of personality or something that seems successful overall based on your experience? I think I mentioned this early on in, in our discussion that, yeah, you really do have to have a strong interest and some capabilities in, in the technical side of studies and math right. and science. And of course, I don't want to uh, underestimate the, the the communication part. And that's where the, the, the uh, use of the language, for example, is very important uh, in the communication side. But without that background in the, the sciences, in math and science, it's a tough job to try to do because you have to be able to understand that. If if you can't understand it, then you really can't do the job regardless of how well you communicate. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and speaking of like the data that you've, taught, you've been talking about, okay, you might be working with uh, trying to figure out homeowners' land area, what they might own, or, or it might be just in general. What sort of data are you really compiling? I mean, are you working off of other documents that state, you know, this might be the boundary? Are you simply getting measurements? What, what, what might that look like as far as what you're compiling in terms of data? The basic route document that applies to all land is a deed. Okay, sure, sure. When people purchase property, they're issued a deed. And that deed, in some way or other, will describe the property they purchased. It might be what we in the surveying profession call a meets and bounds description. It just simply means that it defines the direction of the property and the distance between the markers along the way. Right. Very simplistically, let's say you own a square. All four sides are equal and the angles are 90 degrees. So the deed might be very simplistic. It just might say a piece of ground situated in a certain spot and surrounded by these other people's property that is a square and each length is 100 feet. Right. And so what the surveyor then does is takes that information, and, and believe me, none of them are really that simple. <laughs> I was going to say, how often but, does that happen where it's a nice square Yeah, very it? rarely. <laughs> well, in subdivisions, sometimes it does. Yeah, okay. You know, it, it, that can happen in a subdivision because people buy you know quarter-acre lots all the time. So, so that's very possible. Um, but usually it's a little more complicated than that. So the surveyor then uses that as a base document, but that's just really the start because remember earlier I talked about the puzzle? Right. If you're going to make the puzzle work, you can't just know what your piece looks like you got to know how all the pieces around you were described. Sure. And sometimes those descriptions are not very good. And so it's not uncommon for the surveyor to have to go a couple of properties away from the one that's the subject of the work to find the information to build back that puzzle somehow. Because the information that you need may not be on the ground. You may have to find other ways to figure out how that works. So those are the types of things you're looking for. You're doing the research to find the definition, the description of the land you want to survey, but you also have to find the description of all the land around what you're going to survey. And in some cases, even a couple of properties away, you might have to do that. So that's the basic information you're looking for. And then, of course, that part of the research is really just going out. And oftentimes, surveyors will take the information from the deed and and calculate it and put mathematical values, uh, even random. They don't have to be precise or precise is not the right word, but they can be random in nature just so that they fit together the way they're supposed to Mm -hmm. on paper. And then that's sort of a guide when you go out looking for what you're trying to find. And are you going to find an old car axle somewhere that was the property corner? Is it a a tree that was a sapling 150 years ago? 
those are the kind of things you're looking for. And, and that's much more prevalent in the in the eastern part of the country than the western part of the country because in the original 13 colonies and seven other states, basically east of the Mississippi and south of the Ohio, we work on a system called meets and bounds. And as I mentioned that earlier, right. and that simply means you describe what is at each corner, the direction between each corner and the distance between each corner. After the Louisiana Purchase, Lewis and Clark Expedition, the public land survey system was created for the western part of the country. And it was developed in a series of rectangles. Okay. If you ever if you ever fly over the country, sometimes it looks like a big checkerboard. Right, yeah. If you're looking down from the air. And that's because all of the land was defined originally in these rectangles and sections. Okay. And so that's the framework from which the surveying in that, those parts of the country is done. It's all based on those those rectangles. Uh, unfortunately, when those rectangles were established originally, of course, the equipment back in those days was not as good as we have today. So sometimes a, a rectangle turned out to be a parallelogram or maybe a trapezoid. <laughs> but one of the rules of surveying is that the original markers hold. Okay. So if an original marker was put in the ground, and you can prove it was the original marker, even though it may not meet the mathematical side of things, it still is the property line. And then maybe you have to do some apportionment in those areas because everybody thinks they're getting part of that rectangle. Right, right. Uh, so um, that's the basic element of, of the ba- the land boundary part of it is you have a description of land that's based on something. It's based on a document that somebody wrote to define where ban- land boundaries are. Maybe it's based on that public land survey system data. Uh, and then you're going out on the ground to try to substantiate how the piece of the puzzle that you're working on fits within that framework. Well, due to some time constraints, we'll have to take a break here on I Want to Be a Surveyor with Kurt Sumner, the executive director for the National Society of Professional Surveyors. But we'll rejoin him for part two of this show. Just go to localjobnetwork.com slash radio slash list and type in I want to be a dash surveyor and it should pop right up for you. Meanwhile, go ahead and send us an email to ljanradio at localjobnetwork.com with your comments or suggestions for show topics on any of our LJN Radio programs. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later. 